Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to the latest lecture, our podcast, Cardiac CT State of the Art. And I gave part of this talk at the American Heart Association meeting, which just happened this past week in November 2009. I've expanded it a bit. My talk there was about, uh, I think, 15 minutes or so, so obviously I will have expanded it. And when I looked at the state of the art, I was asked to speak about four different areas, or at least touch on them. One was scanner technology and what's changed over the past year. What about radiation dose issues? Where do we stand with coronary plaque analysis? And what have been some of the multi-center trial results? So let's look at some of the points. 64 slice CT is the minimum these days that you need for doing coronary CT angiography. But of course there are challenges in terms of temporal resolution, in terms of spatial resolution, scan times, and indeed typically radiation dose. If we look at scan times for a moment at this chart, you can see how at 64 slice, we're typically probably in 10 to 12 seconds for a study, though it's sometimes as little as 6, but 10 to 12 or 13 is more realistic. But you can see with the dual source flash, we can do it under 0.5 seconds, closer to 0.3. Or the 320 slice scanner, typically with a low heart rate, we can do with a single gantry rotation, or under two seconds. So again, you can see times are really coming down. Spatial resolution, on the other hand, hasn't changed all that much since the 64 slice era. 0.4 is pretty much where we stand now. G has what they would call a high res scanner that can do a touch better. Most of the scanners are in the 0.35 range. And so that's really what I put down 0.4. And again, uh, making the point that we'd like to be closer to 0.2 or 0.25, which is classic angiography. Now, of course, with limited resolution, there are several problems, in fact, many problems. One is calcium blooming artifact due to an insufficient spatial resolution, particularly at high heart rates, is indeed a problem. If we had um, better resolution, it would be less of an issue. And also, we want to characterize non-calcified plaque these days. We want to look at lipid and fibrous components. Can we predict uh, which plaques will be vulnerable? But you need some better resolution to do better characterization, kind of along the IVIS type uh, idea. Now, when we look at scanner technology, there are two main directions that people are going. One is with increased detector width, which is the typical 256 or 320, Philips, Toshiba, trying to scan the heart in one or two rotations. And then is the Siemens uh, flash technology, where you really speed up the pitch. You increase the pitch up to 3.4 or so, and you're really going at about 430 millimeters per second, which means for a heart that's more than the 13 centimeter range, you're talking about a scan in under 0.3 seconds. Now, with the 320 or 256, several articles have mentioned some of its advantages over 64 slice in terms of radiation dose, image quality, and the like, but still there are some issues. And issues because of this wide detector include data distortion in cases of arrhythmias or ectopic beats. And that increased x-ray scatter that's a result of this technology can result in increased image noise and streaking artifacts. When you look at the uh, 320 CT scanner, the rotation time is about 0.35 seconds, which only gives you a temporal resolution of 175 milliseconds. And so you can do a longitudinal coverage of 160 millimeters, which would surely be enough for the coronary arteries. But in the presence of a high heart rate, the dual source indeed is going to win because it maintains its temporal resolution. 
due to rotation time and tra table travel speed, why a 320 will need to do multi-segment reconstruction, and now it needs two or three heartbeats to increase the temporal resolution and obtain adequate image quality. So then it's no longer one rotation, but it's two or three. Uh, and this indeed becomes a, a significant problem, and this, you know, just something that you can't get around. Now, when you look at some of the dual source scanning, particularly the newest dual source with the 128 by 2 detector array, what you're really looking at is the fact that you have two large detector arrays, two x-ray tubes, and when you scan the patient, rotation time is 0.28 seconds, and what happens is because you have two full or essentially full detectors, you're able to use one quarter of a rotation for scanning the patient. So indeed, the speed is really in very, very impressive. And not only is the speed impressive, but you can see what happens with that speed. We're able to uh, increase the pitch up to theoretically 4, though we're using about 3.4 at this point. But you're able to increase the scan time, or should I say decrease the scan time, to about 0.3 seconds and decrease the radiation dose. When we do flash mode, we're typically talking about a radiation dose of around the one millisievert. No worse than three, but it's usually more like one and sometimes less than one. The calcium scoring is higher than the actual study. And if you look at the quality of the images, and I'll just walk you through a data set, you can see the details of the patient's coronary arteries, the LAD, circumflex, ramus intermedius. You can see when we track out the vessels, in this case, the SA nodal branch of the right coronary. You can see the left main coronary artery. You can see branching down into the LAD. And again, when you look at the data set, you really see the sharpness of the data set. You see the very nice opacification of the vessels, the ability to time the acquisition very closely to contrast delivery, uh, particularly using uh, bolus tracking works very nicely and just really spectacular images. Or another case, another normal study, look at the patient's coronary arteries here, global 3D visualization. You can see the right coronary, you see the left main coronary and LAD. And we'll just change the volume rendering to isolate the right coronary a bit better, give you a better look at the aortic root, and give you a better look at the chamber of the left ventricle. And we can rotate this and adjusting the color coding with volume rendering really get a very good visualization. And I think although people say you can't look at stenosis in volume rendering, I think when you have good volume rendering and you know how to use it and you don't create artifacts, you can do lots of things. Now, you can see the quality of the data in this study also by looking at the MIP imaging. There was no calcification, but look how nicely you can see things. Look at the detail of the right coronary, giving rise to the posterior coronary artery. Now again, with MIP, it's a projection technique, but you're able to lay the vessel out. With volume rendering, you'll look at the base of the heart, and now we see that right coronary. And again, very, very nice visualization. So whatever tool you look at, whether you're looking at the MIP, whether you're looking at volume rendering, whether you're looking at curved planar reconstruction, the quality of the data we acquire using a thing a system like a flash really makes all the difference in the final output. And again, that's not a great surprise. And here's just two more images from that case. Another example. This case at first had me perplexed. The patient has left main coronary artery, but it kind of ends. And then look at the patient's LAD. It's coming from right to left. When you look carefully, what you're dealing with is a very small left anterior descending coronary artery and first diagonal but a large branch off the right coronary artery. 
very nicely shown on the 3D mapping. So the right coronary artery is giving you the left anterior descending coronary artery. Just a very, very unusual variation. Not one of the malignant variations, but indeed it can become important. And you can see the quality of the information, again, nicely shown in these 3D renderings. Now, when you take that further and you have a case with disease like this example, look at the calcified, non-calcified plaque in the patient's LAD. Very sharp visualization, very nice display of non-calcified plaque, which is again shown here, causing some luminal compromise, but that compromise is less than 50%, and you can see it best at the level of the arrows. But you really get a feel of what you're looking at, and again, we're seeing this non-calcified plaque really ideally. Another example, same exact findings or similar findings, multiple plaques in the proximal LAD, and we'll look closer at that, but you'll see calcified and non-calcified plaques. So these are your typical mixed plaques, and again, there's no significant stenosis, there's nothing approaching 50%, but there definitely is significant coronary artery disease, and these patients will indeed be managed more aggressively. Or this example, look at the right coronary, and let's look carefully at the right coronary. Proximal right coronary artery, you see what looks like an area of stenosis, and you reconfirm that on the axial imaging, where you can see luminal narrowing of greater than 50% by non-calcified plaque. Just a very nice example, and of course, I could look at that right coronary in multiple views, but you can see that very tight stenosis that's present. Now, most of us, myself included, typically eyeball or think about uh, with some detail what the stenosis is. Uh, every manufacturer does offer some techniques that allow you to look at this more carefully. And here's just one of the examples on circulation where you can grade the stenosis. Okay, tools that make things a bit more reproducible. Many of these tools are being uh, edited or fixed to make them more accurate, but I think it's something that's going to be very helpful, very valuable in the future. Another example, look at this patient with stents in the right coronary artery. Here's a MIP image showing you two proximal and one distal stent. On these images, the vessels beyond the stent look pretty good, but what's happening in the stent? And for that, you need curved planar reconstruction. And here you can see I've taken it sort of a uh, more of a volume type visualization. And now here I've changed it and I've also used a high resolution algorithm. Get very nice visualization of the patency of that vessel. Another case. Here's a patient where the patients had a graft. The patients had a graft uh, to the um, circumflex circulation from the right side. Very nice visualization of the clips of the ascending aorta. Very nice visualization of the graft itself and the button and the anastomosis. Very nicely shown there. And to look at it better, I'll simply pull the vessel out and now lay it out. And you can see both proximal and distal anastomosis look great. Normal examination. And here it is one more time looking at those same images. So very, very important in that regard. Now, in what I've showed you, you could ask the question, uh, this is unbelievable, this is terrific. Are we at the end of the road? Can things get better? The answer is can, yes, they can. And we always say they can because there are still issues and I showed you some of the issues before. Well, how do you affect that? Well problems are that it's easy to fix things if you didn't have to worry about certain situations. Like if you want to double the resolution without affecting noise, you would have to increase the radiation dose by more than 16-fold. 
That's undoable, obviously. We're trying to decrease it by 16-fold, let alone increase it. So again, we're going to need some tricks to increase spatial resolution and perhaps iterative reconstructions where you are able to post-process data to make the data uh, have better resolution will be one option. And it's something that's done in many of the satellite businesses and defense business and it's something that hopefully will be coming to cardiac CT in the near term as well. Um, tempo resolution, we can make the scanner run faster, spin faster, but we're against the forces of gravity now. You could have multiple x-ray tubes. We have two, maybe three, maybe four. That's a possibility. Another possibility is multi-segment reconstruction plans. But again, um, that will be limited high or regular heart rates. But again, something to consider. Now, I've spoken to you about dose previously. And I don't want to go into this in great detail. The article speaking about the dangers of radiation mentioning cardiac CT as one of the examples and talking about the increased rate of cancer in these patients. But I do want to show you how much things have changed. That with the newest scanners, the dose is substantially lower. 64 slice perspective gaining, you can get it down under 5, typically between 1 and 3. And with the flash, even under 1. So again, radiation dose is becoming very important. It is very important, but we can control it. Now again, you've got to make sure your protocols are right. Here was an article on the 320 slice talking about how high radiation exposure indeed was. Mean exposure of 13 and 19.5, depending if patients had two or three heartbeats used for the uh, data set. So again, we've got to be careful what we're specifically doing, not just quoting numbers, but quoting real-life experience. If you look at our scanner, that we use the flash, we can do flash mode, which is under 3 millisieverts. We can do retrospective gating, which is 5 to 9, and prospective gating, which will be in the 3 probably range, even 3 to 5. But you can see with the right patient, we can make the right decision uh, and put them in the right category, which can indeed decrease dose. Now, with retrospective gating, uh, heart rate, with higher heart rates, the radiation dose is lower as the pitch is higher. Uh, with retrospective gating, dose is also dependent on how wide an R interval you choose. 55 to 75% of R interval seems to be a good strategy to help decrease dose. With prospective gating, uh, the, the issue really is you need very low heart rates under 60, you need regular heart rates. What you're doing is you're basically scanning at a point of the R interval, say 70%. Then you move the scanner, rescan at that position, so you build up the image data set. Uh, distance coverage per bead will vary on the system. When we do it on a flash, it's about four centimeters, so you'll need about four heartbeats. You'll need actually closer to about uh, six to eight beats to be able to scan the heart. So again, uh, things will vary. Now, how do we choose a specific sequence for a patient? Heart rate will matter. The consistency of the heart rate becomes critical. Patient compliance, patient's physical size, uh, what the referring doctor wants, and at times we just know the patients have arrhythmias, the study's not going to be good. Doing prospective without retrospective is just not going to be a good idea. You're going to need many parts of the retrospective to make your study successful. Now, in saying that, I mentioned dosage. Uh, we will see some future changes. Just lowering the KV, for example, which it can do, can decrease dose by almost 39%, just 100 versus 120 with equal image quality. So again, we're seeing that direction coming. Okay.
Enough with radiation. What else? What about plaque? Can we really judge plaque? And there have been articles like by Hoffman, uh, agreement of volume measurements depends on plaque size. The smaller the plaque, the harder to get this agreement. Another article recently by Cheng talking about uh, the possibilities of what we can do. Um, that coronary CTA can be a robust technique for determining plaque composition and then looking at its change over time. Problem, of course, is the smaller plaques. Problem also is the time spent in doing it. But in this article by Chang, highly reproducible measures of plaque detection and percentage of composition were achievable. Uh, so again, it's not something that can't be done. It does take a little bit of time to do it. Correlation of total plaque volume compared by CTA and IVIS. Uh, and the intra-observer and inter-observer uh, reproducibility is robust when the plaques are large, but it declines when the plaques are small. And that makes some sense. It's easier to deal with big plaques. Now, things will change. There's new software coming along which will analyze the vessel itself, the vessel wall, the plaque composition. And so hopefully we're going to see more software really allowing you to automate the process and to quantify the process without any of us spending massive time doing the thing. So something I think you're seeing in the neighborhood coming near you soon. What else? Articles published this year. Some articles focused on the ER and said CT is ready for prime time. Other articles focused on uh, patients with known disease for the most part. And again, CT was excellent for the defining the presence and severity of obstructive and uh, non-obstructive coronary disease. Uh, article by Ostrom talking about that CT provides independent and incremental um, value in predicting all-cause mortality in symptomatic patients, independent of age, gender, conventional risk factors, and coronary artery calcification. So again, something that we're seeing very strong. In terms of trials, Budov showed very high accuracy for thresholds of 50 and 70 percent, and also and this article was a 99% negative predictive value. So lots of good information. And remember, all the articles I'm showing you, most of what's published that I'm not showing you, and I mentioned this before, 99% negative predictive value, about um, 87 to 92% positive predictive value. So again, very, very good results. And those results will continue to get better over time as we have more experience uh, with using uh, many of these new technologies, many of the new applications. Uh, both on the scanner side, hardware, and software. So lots of changes coming. So hopefully I've done in about 18 minutes and 41 seconds a quick review of the state of the art of CT, looking at where scanners are, looking at radiation dose issues, talking about the limitations in plaque analysis that will be coming sooner or later, and the fact that the first multi-trial results are being published, and they're very strong, and that's very important because in great part because of this, January 1st, 2010, there are four codes on the cardiac CT. So with that, hopefully that helps you a bit, and I'll see you next time.